0: Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at FitBod.me slash Zabe. That's fitbo dot M E slash Zabe.
1: Down the back stretch for the final time. And Passiano's trying to run away and Rossi's not letting it happen. Don't think a file. Look at- to outside, take back in. The shot shoot. Clear by two. Rossi's gonna have a massive draft on Simon Pagano into the home stretch. Less We're than back. half a mile. Simon Pagano sweeps back. him up the main and We're wins. He's made it in
0: the 500. Here we go! Wednesday, May 29th, 2019, thank you for downloading. Well, 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 let's hook up with the Hoosier kid, my man Ron Thomas. Back from Indianapolis and ready to rock. Hello. Ronnie! Hello, Steve. How you doing, buddy? You know, uh, because you're becoming a semi-regular on the show... I wanted to ask you, what would you like your theme song and/or walk-up music, as they say in baseball, to be?
1: Oh my goodness! Well, you know, I have listened to a lot of Grateful Dead in my day, but we'll pass on that. Well, but we can uh, do
0: some Dead. It's no, you want.
1: no, no, no. I'm a Dave Matthews fan. I love Dave Matthews. Okay.
0: Uh, any song in particular that strikes your fancy?
1: Yep. Two step. Two step. That's what it's called. Got a long, it's got a long intro, but you'll find where it's really good.
0: All right, very good. So, I am going to admit something that is going to make me look like a total asshole. You ready? You didn't watch the Indy 500? No. In fact, I didn't even look up who won. That's all
1: right. Listen, it's (laughs) a busy weekend.
0: That's no excuse. I'm just a no. dick. I had a great conversation with you and Michelle. The feedback was through the roof positive. I sent you some of that feedback directly. People liked it, and I liked it, but I, I didn't see who won, and I just never looked it up. And I'm sorry, I haven't heard. who. who, who Don't who, worry who, about it. You, who,
1: well, who won the race? Well, first, you had me on because of my... You know my pedigree when it comes to auto yeah, racing, and yeah. I, I listen. Well, I listened to it, and I neglected to mention that my grandfather won the Indy 500 in 1950, which <laughs> you, is ridiculous. You forgot I, I said, to mention the yeah. win. Way I said to go. he's a rookie in '49. He won the national championship, and then I said he raced in ten races. I met, I left out the most important part that he happened to win.
0: Oh, by the way, he the also and, he also chugged the big thing of milk
1: at the end. He, not, he not He did. Bad. Not he did. All right. Who so, won? Who won? Uh, a driver named Simon Pagano, who uh, is a French, a French driver who literally is exactly a spitting image, and it's as if the character in *Talladega Nights* was uh, created based off. Jean of him. Girard. You, oh my gosh! You've got to look at this guy. Is Pagenaud
0: just like? Him. Is Pagano gay? Not that they're saying. No, the no,
1: way. he's not. Hook he's guy. French. He's French, <laughs> and he is a terrific human being and um you know we have a funny backstory my father as we've talked about is a criminal defense attorney and he has represented many many high profile people especially uh some race car drivers when they come into town and it involves uh speeding tickets so he uh pagino last year got a pretty hefty got pulled over going very fast in indianapolis and my dad got him out of trouble, as he's done for many, and uh, they have become friends, and uh, my dad has a very nice Ferrari 355 F1. It's uh, a really fast, beautiful car. And Pagina said, you know what? I have never driven a Ferrari, and so my dad invited Pagano over to the house and went for the ride of their lives. Apparently, get so, out of here! Oh yeah, The very fast r- drive on the uh, interstate around Indianapolis. But okay, Pagino- hold on. Hold on a second. I have what?
0: to. I have to interrupt. And people. Okay. Occasionally, people say, "I'm tired of you interrupting your guests." I'm not interrupting; I'm interjecting because I'm yes. listening. And I, and as you talk, my guests talk. It spurs questions that I want to clarify in my mind. So let me interject here. You say he went was going very fast in a civilian car. Can you peg that at a number? Uh,
1: well, it was it's north of a hundred. Okay, I'd, uh,
0: that we'll leave it at that. Yeah.
1: It would, it would probably be in the 140 to 150 area, Ooh, I would assume. Oh daddy. And for, a, for an IndyCar driver, that's... That's going you know, slow. See, that's well, you what, can't f-
0: that's what the, I don't understand is how do race car drivers not get tickets all the time because their instincts and their foot is used to going so fast.
1: Well, if you get in a Ferrari for the first time, you want to feel what the Ferrari can do. And, you know, 80, 90 miles per hour is not... You know that's like a caged lion. Uh, oh yeah, you know, it doesn't start. The-
0: <laughs> it doesn't start stretching its legs until it gets to ninety, a right. hundred. Uh, by right. the way, so- used used nineteen ninety five Ferrari F three fifty Ferrari F three fifty five Spider with just twenty seven thousand miles can be had for a mere sixty seven thousand dollars online. Good price? Yeah. No. Uh,
1: what year that is one your one Probably dad's? has high miles. It's a ninety nine. Okay. Uh, he's got. He's got lots of beautiful fast cars and it's always a treat when i go home because i get to look at them and play with them and this and that but anyway pagino is a terrific guy he drives for roger penske he was on the pole this is his first indianapolis 500 win he won the championship the overall indycar championship in 2016 and the interesting thing about pagino is there were rumblings about him not getting re-signed at penske even though he is the prototypical Penske driver, he's clean-cut, he's well-spoken. You know, it's amazing these guys. The French is their first language, but his English is exceptional, and he's just a—you uh, know—he's a sponsor's wet dream. And him winning this Indy 500 secured his spot for the next couple years. Nice, I would assume a two-year contract. Is he
0: the first French winner of the Indy?
1: No, the 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 la well the the first and last was uh, Jules I believe Chevrolet or Gaston oh, Chevrolet oh, one of them oh, and that is of the Chevrolet fame and that was in 1920 and uh, you know auto racing in Europe is obviously huge but um, for a Frenchman to win the Indy 500 is a gigantic deal as is. Kumasato when he won in 2017 yeah, first
0: first Asian driver right
1: first Japanese driver Japanese. yeah huge deal so it By was
0: the way, Steve it, are there yeah. are there Koreans in the sport
1: uh you know that's a good question they if there were they'd be winning probably but i think most of them <laughs> no
0: I, and i don't you know i mean no, I they're mean, just you're, so I, I because yeah. you're right they the, the 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 culture and and the compet- the sportsmen out of Korea they're good in whatever they put their shoulder into. And that's certainly showing up in golf. It shows up in the Olympic sports, especially in speed skating and short track and whatnot. The Koreans are making phenomenal cars. I own one, a Hyundai Genesis that's got 170,000 miles. It feels like it's brand new. So I was just wondering if uh, Koreans are getting into auto racing and if they'll become uh, a force.
1: Uh, Yeah, they're not in IndyCar. I think they do race in some other things. But just closing out the Indy 500 – Uh, Second place was Alexander Rossi, who won the 2016 race. He is an American who has Formula One background. But when he won as a rookie in 2016, which happened to be the 100th anniversary, the 100th race, it was a gigantic deal. And Alexander Rossi really did not understand what he had just done when he won. There was even some rumblings that, you know, he's not even excited. Well, the fact is he didn't really know what he had just achieved. Switch to this year. He, uh, this battle that they had down the stretch, he passed Pagino with a lap and a quarter left to take the lead, and they had been swapping the lead. It was just an an incredible duel, but he was so hurt and, uh, you know, not angry, but just devastated that he did not win this race, and he even went on to say that this race means everything to me. I didn't realize what it was about, and now it's all I li- it's what so, I live for. So it's a what year I ago,
0: a year ago he was perceived to be nonchalant two, about it. Two
1: years ago, two two years, two thousand sixteen. Okay, been, good. So
0: good, Ross Alexander but, Rossi
1: from yeah, he, California. Just yeah. a terrific guy. They're all good guys. There's not yeah. a bad guy in the bunch.
0: Um, there has to be one asshole.
1: Ah, there's a couple, but not really, <laughs> not you <that> know, bad. <laughs> but, but Steve, the, the best thing about the race this year was that no one got hurt. Thank God. And that is the best thing. Yep.
0: Yeah, that was good. Weather um, and weather was good and it went off with weather it. was
1: the forecast was dire. There was no chance this race was going to occur. It was a 90% thunderstorm deal and the I 10% hit. The, it went right around us <laughs> yeah, it was incredible right. in fact the beginning of the race the guys were staying in line and try and behaving because you know usually they when i thought for crash,
0: sure that the race was going to be stopped at some point
1: yeah and it, it just has to get to 101 laps to for Ooh. it to be a final a race okay. but they do everything they can to get it in but you know when they crash it takes a long time to clean up so they were well behaved they were in line It was a terrific race, and I have my post-race depression that has officially kicked in because I have to wait another year, another year to watch the greatest thing that, uh, you know, it's just the best. I love it. You know,
0: it's funny because uh, my other bud, Cowboy Mike, is in his post-Malcolm depression phase. (laughs) And I'm telling you, he loves this golf trip so much, and you've seen it firsthand for many a year. That when it's over and we're driving home up 95, a kind of a silence befalls him. And he's normally so gregarious okay. and jocular. And you can just sense it. And then guys are texting back and forth. Oh, that was a great time. And that that was nice to meet you. Hey, let's play. And, you know, back and forth. Guess who's not on any of the texts? Guess who's not on any of the emails?
1: I can see that. Cowboy Mike. It is Mike. a great trip. I, H- H- called, I
0: called Mike. I go, hey. You too good to jump in the fray with the texting? And he just goes, ah, you know, Zabe, I'm still getting over the fact that it's over. I said, yeah. well, what? come on. I said, I go, Mike, listen, the guys look up to you. You know that. You're worshipped on this trip. You're the star attraction. They need to hear from you. To which Mike said, yeah, but it's like Bigfoot. If you saw Bigfoot at 7-Eleven, he wouldn't be special
1: anymore. Oh, it's so true. That's a classic McGowan line. He's one of the most clever. He is super Humorous clever. human yeah. beings on the face of the earth. So Steve, switching gears, can I ask you about the trip? How was it? How did everything go? It was
0: go? fantastic. We had How many- nine new guys. Okay. And they all got along swimmingly. Uh, they were of all different abilities. Uh, what I loved the most was that we had one guy who signed up. His name is, uh, uh, uh Dave Krause from Northern Wisconsin, Wausau.
1: Okay. And
0: you know, when I first met him, cause you know, nine of these guys I never met. I recruited them via social media and my podcast from all over the country. Right. And so, you know, old Kraus, old sour as I called him, he shows up and he's uh, retirement age. I think he's like 62 maybe. And he kind of had a, a funny stance to him and he didn't really explain what that was, but guys quickly ferreted it out of him. He suffers from AS or Anky losing splundinitis, mm. which is a degenerative autoimmune disease that unfortunately starts, you know, stiffening you up as the years and years go by. Uh, and it's, it's just very tough on your joints. And there's not a lot that can be done about it other than to fight tooth and nail to slow it down. So he had a swing that was tough. He kind of had to lean his whole body back to be able to see down the fairway. Mm. But he played every hole, and it was blazing hot, and he never complained, Ron. And he got along great with the guys. And then on Saturday night, when Mikey set up the craps table on the pool table, old Sauerkraus comes up with a pair of dice and wiped Mike out as the house. It was number <laughs> after number after number.
1: Oh, no. And it was no. so funny.
0: And he got along right. great with guys who were as young as 26 years old and that could hit it 270 yards down the middle of the fairway. What game, Ronnie, and you've seen this on these trips, what game brings together such disparate people in life and in ability and in background other than the game? No of game. Golf?
1: No game. And, and and Steve, you're the common denominator in all of this. Uh, you know, pe- you just have an attraction where pe- people are attracted to you. But even if they've never met you, they know that they're going to like you when they meet you. And they know exactly what they're going to get. And the wonderful thing is, is what they think they're going to get before they meet you is exactly what they get. And then some. Well, and I, uh, I, you don't toot your own horn, so I, I can do it for you. But the cleverness, the organization... Uh, you know, just the wittiness and the intelligence and it all makes such a good, uh, you know, it's such a good combination that it attracts the same kind of people. There's never been a problem on that trip when I've been the 12, 13, 14, 15 of them. But what I want to ask, did everybody do what you asked them to do, which is post, <laughs> <Yeah>. pay, <laughs> pay up,
0: show up, keep up and pay up. There was one guy, uh, Brzezicki and I love him. He's uh he's a nut. Uh, he's a paramedic, lives in North Carolina, originally from Wisconsin. And I, he's the kind of guy that you can ride his ass and, and yell at him and say, Brzezinski, you dumb fucking idiot. And he'll, he'll smile and he'll mm-hmm. laugh and he doesn't get bothered by it. And he has this positive energy to him that is just, it's, it's funny. Like, I can't be mad at him even though I had to tell Brzezinski three times what I would have to tell other people one time. I don't know right. what it was. It was like, I had to tell him three times. The one time Brzezicki, I think, tried to snake by by not paying his green fees at Dormy because we paid them oh, separately. Because they're yeah. like, uh, can I get a list of your players? Apparently one of the guys didn't pay. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> And it was him. And he's like, oh, I didn't know he had to pay. And I'm like, yeah, uh, of course, sure. Yeah. But no, I, he was great. Everyone was great. What I desperately want, and we are moving this back to our honey hole,
1: is okay. I want
0: you back on the trip if at all possible.
1: Oh, I'll be back next okay, year. Good. The, the, I the only reason I couldn't do it last year was because of a uh, I think it was a baseball tournament and I was involved right. in coaching yeah. for my son and then obviously and then this, this year, year was Indy. Indy okay, good. Good.
0: Good. My
1: 46th Indy 500 in a row by the way, it. and I still cry every time when that green flag drops. Literally, yeah. tears come out of my eyes. I don't cause... blame
0: you. I love that about you. I love the passion. By the way, you sent me a video. You texted me a video where you're literally right on the chain link fence as the cars come by. <laughs>
1: How do you get yeah. that close?
0: Uh,
1: well, I'll just one word credentials. Is, so... that,
0: is that location dangerous? It looked like a straightaway.
1: It's the end of the front stretch. And yeah, there's no one. Uh, I, I, yeah, there was no one around me except the photographers who stick their cameras through that fence. Has um, anyone
0: but, at Indy been injured by flying auto parts in recent great, years?
1: Great question. Not in recent years. 1973 was a very bad year. Salt Walter down the front stretch, burning, you know, he got, there was a big accident and his car went spinning It threw fuel into the crowd and burnt several people. And then in 92, I think it was a tire, uh, Roberto Guerrero lost a tire. And I think Tony Bettenhausen hit the tire. And this is crazy. And punted tire went went all the way to the top row. And a guy was looking over at the crowd below, which you can do during a race. Sometimes it gets a little slow. And I'll be damned if he didn't get hit right in the head and get killed. So, but well, uh, the sad. tires are—it's huh? like
0: it's like a kicker kicking a football, but you got a car going two hundred and twenty-five miles an hour.
1: Yep, and it hit the loose tire. But the tires are tethered now. But I, oh, they, I was oh, in the a tires de- are tethered now.
0: But yeah. here's the other thing that I don't understand. So in in a indie car wreck where it's just you know parts and Lego pieces flying. All yes. it takes is one bolt or one shard of metal to come screaming through into the crowd and kill somebody.
1: How does You're that right. not happen? Mm, luck skill of the drivers. These guys don't crash very often. Okay. Steve they are They don't want to die. I mean, it's, right. you yeah. know, sometimes when they get on the mile and a half tracks, like uh, Vegas and Texas, and when they used to run it, like Charlotte and these places, it was so dangerous. And, you know that's where Dan Weldon got killed, and yeah. Kai and Sam Schmidt and these guys and have all you know he's paralyzed. And Didn't Dan it, Weldon get killed
0: essentially by like a, a bolt or a nut going through his helmet?
1: Uh, the Dan Weldon got into the fence, and one of the fence posts went through oh, his yes. visor. Jesus Christ! Um, now, when you talk about that, the full great Formula One driver Ayrton Senna. Uh, was killed by a piece of suspension. When he hit the wall, the suspension went through and pierced his – it wasn't strong enough, the visor cover, and went through and got him right in the temple corner of the eye. But, you know, it's funny you say that because when I watched the race, even 46 in a row, I looked, and every time I see three wide when they're going around for their pace laps, that track is not very wide. But when I see three wide and I see how close the fans are, I, it's not that I'm concerned. I just think how incredible it is that this is about to happen, that these right. fighter jets are about to go yeah. around. And it's amazing. It's, just, oh, it's nuts. It's yeah. inc- It's the most incredible thing. So, All right. I it wanna, was great.
0: I want to talk some golf with you. I also want to talk some NBA finals. Okay. Let me let me swerve the car violently back to something that we said earlier about You know, Koreans in racing, you're like, well, if they got into it, they'd probably be good. It reminds me of the great line you said one of your buddies, who was a top amateur player who was at some qualifier, who called you on the phone. And afterwards, you know, you're like, how'd you do? What'd you shoot? And he was like, "Uh, you know, 69, not bad. And he's like, and you were like, did you qualify? And he goes, no. And you go, what happened? He goes, Koreans. (laughs) Word for word. What happened? Koreans. And it was totally something that was only meant uh, in a positive, complimentary way that they were just fucking good players. And so his 69 didn't matter. On tour this past weekend, who won? But Kevin Na, Korean-American, grew up in Southern California, a guy who has had a ton of things happen in his pro career from – you know, whiffing the ball on purpose in what he considered check swings because he couldn't pull the trigger, slow play, having people cuss at him, other tour players get in his face about, i never want to play with you again. He's considered to be one of the most misunderstood guys on tour. I read a long piece by Alan Shipnuck about Kevin Na, and I came to a whole different perspective about him, and he's now starting to kind of come out of his shell and be a more, much more popular player on tour. You should read that piece about him because I was of the mindset of Jesus. Slow play like this, these guys are the worst. Hit the goddamn ball. But there's more to it than that, Ronnie. I'm telling you. A lo- Rethink yeah. Kevin Nah. You got to read this story about him. It's interesting.
1: You know, I've never had an opinion on Kevin Nah other than he's one of those guys that has been around for so long that it really Do You know why? Speaks- it speaks to how good he is.
0: Do you know why? Because he turned pro at 17.
1: <laughs> I remember. I Do you know remember. how he
0: turned pro? No, he, tell me. He 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 started playing mini tour events in California under his mother's maiden name so that the truancy officers in high school wouldn't catch him. Kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And he, he, he's never been very long. He has been a perfectionist, he's been obsessed. He had this phase where he would intentionally when he would he take the club back and feel like something's wrong, he would purposely swing over the ball because the rules of golf state intentionality is the key to assessing a penalty shot. And so therefore, a pro golfer who misses the his tee ball by 4 inches he was never penalized for that, except one mm-hmm. time Charlie Hoffman actually brought it up to a rules official like, hey, I, I need a ruling on this because this doesn't seem right. And Nah was like, come on, bro.
1: I'm a pro like you are.
0: <laughs> Do you think I really meant to miss the ball right. there?
1: Right. Did, and remember, he didn't he make like a 16 and he was laughing the whole way or something? He was he, in the woods. He, he, yes. Yeah. He, <laughs>
0: it was a 16 uh, in San Antonio. And they talked about that in the article where, you know, this one particular hole had this giant, dense grove of, you know, walnut trees that you couldn't drop from. You couldn't escape from. There was no drop zone. And he flared one right into that, you know, the trees had to go back to the tee because he had no good options on the tee. Angel Cabrera was so pissed that he kicked his ball across the tee box and didn't say a word when he came back to tee it up. Really? So he hits another one, flares that one deep into the woods and his caddy's like, I think we need to go back again. And Kevin now like, I'm not going back there, man. I'm afraid of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he ends up trying to punch it out and it hits the tree and it hits him and he's got nowhere to drop ends up taking a 16. But as he emerged from the forest, he gave this big broad smile and kind of the fans kind of liked him. Yep. And, uh, and, and he's been through a lot of shit. It's an interesting story, but uh, it it was remarkable just to sort of read about his travails with the game itself and the mental side of things where, he would have these nightmares about I'm gonna miss a putt on the last hole to lose a tournament. Mm. Mental shit like that, which is crazy. Mm.
1: Also, you know he's yeah. he's got quickly he's got to be in like the top twenty all time on money when you know money earnings. Yes, I bet he is.
0: He's yes got to be. Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a, ca- a check cashing machine who's only won three times, yep. and for a long time it looked like he was going to claim the crown of most money ever won on tour without winning a single event. He'll be on Mm. the, uh, he'll be on the president's cup team. I think this fall down in Australia for team us. So just stay tuned for that. Okay. Let's move on to the NBA finals. What are your thoughts? First of all, give us your post-mortem on what happened to the Milwaukee bucks.
1: Well, I think their point guard play hurt them. I can say that Bledsoe um, is
0: terrible. No, no question was, about
1: it. He was terrible. And when you compare that to Lowry, who is Lowry is just a tough, tough son of a bitch who does not. He's not afraid to take shots. He's not afraid to make plays. He's not afraid to get in and mix and mingle. And so he becomes a scoring threat, which he always will be. And when your point guard is a scoring threat, and you have other things around you, uh, so much attention has to be paid to that point guard. And that paid off this year, in this series. And the like you said, Bledsoe was it, he was non-existent. Yeah, uh, he did more bad things than good. Um, I also think that they. Uh, I also think that Milwaukee became a little too perimeter oriented. I would have liked to have seen uh, the Greek freak play with more more of his back to the basket because he did not get to the foul line as many times as he could have. He literally could have gotten to the foul line 20 times a game.
0: But he would have missed Uh, half his shots. He shot Freakers terribly, which hurt. And Really, the way they've been using him is as this dribble-drive, seven-foot point guard who draws double and triple teams and then kicks out, but the shooters weren't making their shots. There is a real sort of groundswell of thought that, well, as good as Greek Freak is, And he may be the MVP. He still needs another guy you can just hand the ball to when the game is on the line and say, go win the game.
1: A Kawhi type. Which is exactly what Golden State has, you know? And um, they have multiple guys like that. They do. When
0: Durant is on the floor, you could give the ball to Durant, Curry, or Clay Thompson and say, go win the game. And they could.
1: You yeah, I, let's go back to Milwaukee. I, as a small town boy, as an Indianapolis kid who just lived and died with the Pacers when I lived there. And even when I didn't live there, but those series against the Knicks,
0: the Reggie Miller Pacers, oh my the, God, Rick the Rick Smiths, Smiths the Dale
1: Davis, yeah, yeah Dale Davis, even God, Detlef Davis. shrimp was there. <laughs> I mean, I Antonio Davis, all these guys, I loved it. And those series against the Knicks, so I could comprehend and I could feel for Milwaukee and understand it was just such uh it was a huge letdown and you could say, well, it was exciting that they got there. They, we, ha- it was fun. And I know you have a lot of folks from Wisconsin that are listening, but they won so many games during the regular season. I know
0: it's um, a weird, it's a weird dynamic because it was certainly a, a crushing disappointment, but they had come into such new money. They were like lottery winners because prior to this year, the bucks under Giannis had not been out of the first round. So unlike a lot of NBA teams that steadily climb and then knock, knock, knock on the door, semis, conference finals, go to the NBA, win it all, they were suddenly like new money. So the way they lost was it hurt, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened to us because they couldn't believe they were in that position in the first place.
1: Right, and the fans in Milwaukee, the people, you and I both know this and we've talked about it, are just some of the neatest, kindest, most understanding people that you could ever imagine meeting. They're not not going to rip the team. They're not going to rip players. It's not their fiber, and we were the same way in in Indianapolis with the Pacers. We were happy it happened. Aren't aren't Um,
0: the Pacers building something with their young nucleus? Well, we were –
1: we had a really good shot this year to go far until Oladipo got hurt. Right. And that killed us. He didn't even play in the series, but um, I I just, I think that Milwaukee being this good, the East needs it. The East needs it so badly. And then that jumps us over to Toronto. Is Toronto good enough to beat uh, the Warriors? My feeling is.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Who wants to go first? You or me? You. (laughs) No fucking way. They're getting their asses bum rushed, swept in four games. Could be wrong. That's a hot take. Let the flames blow. I think. I think Golden State just one, two, three, four. Goodbye. Your take. why do you why, why do, do you think, think that? that? Yeah, I don't think they're that good. I think they had to go the distance against Philly. They got a four bounce miracle from Kawhi. Uh, the mm-hmm. Bucks were sort of uh, on a on a stage that they quickly became uncomfortable with and collapsed. They were almost down 3 nothing, went to double overtime in that series against the Bucks. No team I don't think has ever come back from 3 nothing down. So that series is basically over. I look at Toronto as a as a as a nice team, city full of good people who have snuck into the finals. Sort of like sneaking into a wedding and they're about to get thrown out the back door face first.
1: You know what's interesting is when we were talking about the Bucks series against um Oh, I think it was game two. They had gone up two to nothing. And you know what you said on this, on the podcast, you said it's they won. It's a, it's a great time. It's a great win, but I'm concerned because I think that the, uh, the Raptors have figured out something about how to beat this team. I don't know if you remember your exact words, but you called it. I said, I called
0: it. I felt like they had their hooks in how they were going to play Giannis and that they were going to keep on turning the screws down. That's exactly what you said. Sure enough, they did. I saw a quote online, and then I'm going to get your take on the series, but I saw a quote online about someone at some basketball analytics conference or symposium, and the guy was a former NBA coach or scout, and he says, look, here's how it works. As soon as you get to the playoffs, the other team's best player, the first thing you identify is, okay, what doesn't he like? And whatever it is he doesn't like, we're going to feed him that every single game. And if he doesn't have a B move and a C move, then he's going to be in trouble because we're going to hone in on exactly what he doesn't like to do and force him out of his comfort zone.
1: Yep. And you know, the coaches in the NBA, the assistants and the guys who do the film work, these guys don't get enough credit. They think they just show up, uh, put, put the starting line up on the chalkboard and say, all right, boys have fun, go play hard. I mean, these guys are coaching and they're studying and uh, they're good. They're well, the best of the best.
0: And do you know how yeah. many? You know how many assistants are on an NBA bench on average? I it's know. like it's like seven guys, Ron. I know.
1: I it's know. It's like you guys-
0: seven fucking guys, and I know. they do all grind and they do all work on things. Because one of the takes from some of the fans was Coach Budenholzer didn't make adjustments, and I said, "Oh, I'm sure he tried, but either the adjustments didn't take, or he didn't have the personnel to make them because." He's got a staff of really smart coaches who are grinding their ass off saying, let's do this, let's do that. I don't yeah, doubt for I, a second that they thought of and tried some things. They just didn't work.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I i don't think the officiating was too good the last two games. Uh, I think that Toronto got some some more favorable stuff. And the game, which game was it where you know, the tide turned when they fouled out Giannis in that, uh, I think it was game three, maybe game three. Yeah. That was, that was a, that was a charge, but they <laughs> had to keep the series going, but that, I knew right then I thought, Oh shit, you know, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big play. Uh, but that, that was that, that was that WWF underlying thing that is there with the NBA when it comes to the officials or the officiating. And when it comes to extending a series for advertising for sponsorship for the overall good of the league, they feel there was no way that was going to be called a charge, but it was, it was a charge.
0: Well, I do Um, like, I do like it that lesser and, you know, Toronto is a major city and it's an attractive city, but it's still Canadian. I like it that the Toronto's and the Milwaukee's and Golden State, even though, you know, once upon a time, you and I remember when they were a backwater in the NBA. Yes. I love it that, that all the franchises seemingly have a chance now to get good. I just wish our fucking franchise would someday, Ronnie, pull its ass out of the mud, which it's currently stuck in.
1: You mean the team you mean the team that doesn't even have a general manager yet?
0: That's Jesus. I find that it, embarrassing because it's, incredible. it's been such a long search. I mean, I know that they're probably waiting for somebody, but
1: come on. Oh no, Ken. they were waiting. They already got turned down. Right. By the we, dudes, the right. dude from Denver.
0: Right. And so now I think what they're doing is they're, instead of quickly hiring somebody else, because it makes it look like you got shot down by the girl you wanted to go to prom with, mm-hmm. so you settle with the nice girl with a good personality who's a little bit, you know, not so hot. Yeah. Instead of doing that right away and kind of signaling defeat, you mill around for a while and pretend like, oh, no, no, we had always planned on this being a 14-week search.
1: Nope. Do you know who told me and you one time when we were playing golf with him that he would love to be the general manager of the Washington Wizards? Who was that? We were at Burning Tree. Do you remember being there? I do. Do you remember who we were with? We were with uh, Coach Gary Williams. Yep. Word for word. That's the, I wouldn't, I don't want to coach. I would consider it, but you know, I'd like, you know, his voice. I, I'd like to just, I'd like to be like a, a GM of the Wizards. I'd take that. I'd take that in a second. You know, Why not
0: hire Gary Williams? I, I Well, yeah, that'd be one thing. I don't remember him saying that, but it doesn't mean that you're incorrect. I'm sure you did remember him saying that. I just remember him snapping at my buddy Gitter because Gitter dared to say something when it was his turn to hit that took five seconds. Some brief <laughs> little anecdote. And yeah. I, I said, Gitter. Coach Williams is like he is on the court. He is hard-charging, and when it's your turn to hit, you better have that waggle going.
1: Yep, but this is the time we were with Cooley when Cooley showed up late with no golf shoes on. Oh, this is a different
0: time, right? (laughs) Yes! Cooley shows up, no golf shoes, because he had dress shoes that were slick on the bottom. He would have blown out an Achilles playing. So he decides to play barefoot, and on the second tee, rips a drive straight down the middle, claiming to be a handicap?
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm like an 8 or a 10, he says, and he hit it like 310. It was like a tour drive. Oh, Ga- my God. And Gary <laughs> Gary
0: instantly starts motherfucking under oh, yeah. his breath. Oh, oh, fuck yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy shows up
0: with no shoes on. <laughs> Gary starts muttering like he would to an ACC official who's just fouled out one of his guys. God,
1: it was do you, great. Do you remember why Cooley was late? Because he said there was no gas in the car. Oh well,
0: he, yes, of he,
1: course. Cool. He left the house without money or something, and there was no gas. So he had to go back to the house and get money to put gas in the car. Do you, He's got. He had like ten million in the bank, <laughs> but no gas in the car. G- yeah. Yeah. and he well. blamed it on his wife or his girlfriend at the time. <laughs> this is where Burning we need- with no, this, this,
0: this is where we need a sort of a a, 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 a sitcom jingle. Da, 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 that's Cooley.
1: Da, da, three holes da, late. Da, 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 that's Cooley. Right. Three holes late. Anybody well, else playing Burning Tree, the right. most exclusive course, of course on the East Coast, yeah. with Coach Gary Williams, Steve Zaban, and some dude named Ron Thomas. And he shows up three holes late with no shoes.
0: yeah It was classic. And it wasn't even, by the way, the most embarrassing situation with cooley at burning oh shit let's hear it okay so even (laughs) even though he was late by two holes you know gary gary liked cooley's you know rakish camaraderie which i think we all do and so he invited cooley to be the guest speaker at the burning tree member guest oh no oh yes (laughs) God. So Cooley, Cooley shows up and apparently he had too good of a time and he got a little bit too heated and he took it off the deep end blue up there at Burning Tree where it caused a little bit of a, yeah, oh. yeah we, we probably don't need that again. Now look, the Burning Tree membership, they are private and they are secretive and they don't really let a lot of stuff out. And I'm probably never going to play there again for leaking this shit on a podcast, but they are not necessarily uptight.
1: Right, Ron? Not at all. They're, They're the not... opposite. That's why they all go there. Yeah, they don't want not... that typical right. country club bullshit.
0: Right. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a waspy joint where it's like caddy uh, Caddyshack with judge Smales. No, but, but we are <laughs> talking Titans of industry. People of significance. And I think there's a line in which former football tight end thought he was being funny. And they were like, oh God, yeah, this is too much. <laughs>
1: this is too oh, much. No. This is too oh, strong no. for us. Right. Yeah. Hey, okay. so, all right. right. So my pick. Your my pick. pick. Yes. Toronto and seven.
0: Wow. How about that, ladies and gentlemen?
1: And the reason I say this is because uh, as I watched Toronto play, I went to too many Wizards games this year. I spent too much money on my tickets and I loved watching uh, Milwaukee come and play. I talked about it on the previous podcast and I loved watching Toronto play. And I was sure I was caught up in the moment, but watching them dominate, actually they didn't dominate the Wizards late because that's when Beal was playing so well, yep, and that's when we were shooting the ball well. And Thomas Bryant came out of nowhere and was playing great basketball, and it was a hell of a game. And of course, they did get some calls down the stretch. Kawhi did. I'll never forget one of the calls that uh, that jackass from Gaithersburg gave him. Um, but anyway, I, watching them in person, I got on Facebook afterwards and I said. Toronto is going to win the, the NBA championship. Wow. And of course I had several people who came back and said, no, what about golden state? But the reason I said it is because of the way they defended and the way they were able to hold off the best performance of the year for the wizards. I mean, they didn't miss a shot. It was incredible. It's one of those games where it was back and forth, back and forth. Made shot, made shot, and then and they rebounded so well and everything, and then all of a sudden Kawhi literally took the game over. Oh yeah, and not one guy on that court could guard him, and that was enough for me to say right there that I truly believe that this team's going to win the NBA Finals. I think that when um, I think that when Golden State faces adversity. And if they were to lose one or two at at Toronto to open the series, people don't realize this series is opening I know. up at Toronto. I know. That place is going to be apeshit. So I, I just think that if, for them to come, <clears throat> excuse me, to come from behind is going to be tough. Having said that, the way that Looney's playing for Golden State and McKinney and Quinn Cook and Jordan Bell and Livingston, who's always good, and Bogut, I mean, they're getting so much from these guys that. You'd never get to see him play, which I'm enjoying watching these guys play because you're so used to the big three or four. Um, I only yeah, think,
0: I, The only thing I think of that could, that could derail Golden State, and I have kind of come around to, hey, these guys are stone-cold killers because they also play great defense when they want to, especially Klay Thompson. But the, the thing that I've come around to is that they don't need Durant. The only thing that might fuck it up is if Durant reinserts himself at some point in the series and they try to force feed him looks and he's not 100%, it might throw off their mojo.
1: But and we've seen that before Steve in with, sports. We've seen it with various teams. We've seen it with in all sports. Yeah. Quarterbacks coming into play or point guards or this and that come in and throw in the 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 whole thing out of balance. I don't know
0: if you believe in plus minus from an NBA statistics standpoint, I don't know if you do or not.
1: Uh, I need more of an explanation as to what it is. What do you mean Just by literally that?
0: plus minus? Which is when you're on the court, they keep track of the score. Oh, you know? oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. And when you're off the court, they keep track of the score. Yeah. So in other words, you know, what are you when you when you are on the court with your team, no matter who else is with you, no matter what time of the game, you know, first quarter, second, third quarter, third quarter. They keep score of just only when you're in, and they count, are you plus or minus in points? Steph Curry has been ranked plus minus the past six years walking backwards from this season, ranked number one, number one, number one, number two, number one, number three. Unbelievable. Whether it's a bullshit stat or not, I don't know, but he's the guy that is always basically way in the plus when he's
1: on the court. Right, and we've talked about it. And the more times he's on the court and the less times that Durant's on the court, the more he gets to shine, the more he shines, the more confidence he gets, the more he becomes the showman, which he is. There's not a greater shooter in the history of the game under pressure in the spotlight than this guy. And, but the thing is about Curry that people don't talk a whole bunch about unless you watch a lot of basketball is how well he gets to the basket he gets to the basket so well for as slight as he is.
0: Yeah. And his little deft floaters and bank oh, shots yeah. and underhand scoops. Pretty cool stuff. Ron, we are out of time this week. Next week, let's talk about the NCAA golf championship, which the Golf Channel had. This kid, Matthew Wolf, who I'm fascinated by with his interesting swing, just murdering the ball. You played college golf, so I'm sure you got some insights on that and whatever else washes up next week.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Steve.
0: All right, Ronnie. Take care, buddy.
1: Yes, sir. See ya.